We have now released issue three of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org. New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the topic of apports and materializations. My guest is Grant Cameron, who has been a UFO researcher and experiencer for decades. His many books include Jimmy Carter, Paranormal and UFO Tales, The Portals and UFOs of Mount Shasta, Triangles, Aliens, and Messages, The Canadian Government UFO Story, the Clinton UFO Storybook. Charlie Red Star True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings. Breakthrough the Psilocybin School. UFO Sky Pilots. And his newest book we'll be focusing on today is called Weird Paranormal Tales of Apports and manifestations. Grant is in the Manitoba, Canada area, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Grant. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. You've been exploring the paranormal like I have for many decades, so this is our first uh, encounter, really, and I'm, I'm delighted to be with you, and I'm particularly thrilled that you've written a new book uh, about apports. I think it's a very important topic, and it's one that people are very, very hesitant to talk about it because it's so bizarre. Yeah, it, it's, it, it didn't appear to me until maybe 45 years into my career of chasing around UFOs, and it came like everything else. It was bizarre synchronicities. And um, I agree with you that I think this is an extremely important phenomena because I think all the paranormal phenomena don't go to ETs. They don't go to ghosts. They, they go to the nature of reality. And what this is, I believe, is a lesson on the nature of reality, how reality actually works. And if you start to understand what's going on, then you understand how is the world put together. Well, there does seem to be a correlation between UFO phenomena and apports. I mean, UFOs themselves often just seem to appear out of nowhere. Yeah, well, apports go across all the paranormal phenomena. So you get uh, Stanley Krippner was working with a psychic in Brazil. Uh, you get ghost phenomena. You get apports. Uh, experiencers get apports. Near-death experience people will report after bizarre, you know, apports and stuff like that. So it seems to go across the all the paranormal phenomena, and I so I I come to the conclusion all the paranormal phenomena is all the same thing. It's all like you fall into the water and you're in the water. There's no levels, there's no uh, dimensions. It's all one thing. You're in the water, and it's like you you get to a certain level. If you get closer to the surface of the water, you have more light, you can see more, and so. 
Uh, I didn't see the airports until I met with Ray Hernandez, who you interviewed. And it was actually an interview that you did with Stanley Krippner, who got me to do the airports. Because what happened was I was with Ray Hernandez, who I think really understands the nature of what's going on, this consciousness thing. Same as Deepak Chopra will say, everything is an activity inside consciousness. And that's where I've come to after all these years. But I was with Ray Hernandez and I knew that he had, he hadn't had an experience. His experience of the dog being healed was a week after my big experience where I was told it's all consciousness. So I was with him at LAX airport and, um, he had done 4,200 experiencers. And I knew that in order to understand what's going on, you got to talk to the people who are having the experiencers. Forget about the left brain people with ideas and stuff like that. You got to talk to the people who are having the experience. So I, I asked him, I said, so Ray, who's your best guy? And he said, Alberto, Alberto's the best guy. And he starts describing this guy. And then he says, he's got these stuff appearing. And, and when he said he has a sword fell out of the ceiling, I go, a what? A sword? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I had never, I hadn't sort of heard about airports, but I, I thought this is totally bizarre. So I started to, to research after, uh, he talked about it. And that's when I came across an interview he'd done with Stanley Krippner. And Stanley was talking about this psychic that he'd worked with in Brazil and he was taking his students down and they were marking them one through five on significance of the apport and this sort of thing. And, um, so I, I, um, we was watching the interview and that's when he said, Oh, I had all these apports in my house and somebody broke into the house and stole them. So what I did with, to protect the next ones that I got is I send them to a university in Manitoba, the University of Manitoba. And I went, wow, like I worked there almost 40 years and I'm going, like, what's the chances that there, there's only two collections in the world that I know of? There was one in Turkey that, that got destroyed. But uh, at Stanford University, the um, the brother of the guy who started Stanford was big into physical mediumship. And he had a there's a, an apport collection there. And there's this small apport collection at the University of Manitoba. So I thought this is just it just almost like it drags you in. It's this idea where it's the hook that gets you in there. And curiosity is what moves science ahead. And so that's what moved me ahead is I started to look more and more. And the more I had, the more synchronicities I had and the more everything started to fall into my lap of this book. And then when I talked to Stanley Krippner about it, he said, well, it's about time someone did a book. There, there really are no books. It's time somebody did a book on apportations. And, uh, so it's the significance of how does something come into the physical world or go back into wherever this is coming from? And it, so I, th- I believe it's all, it's all linked to, Whatever the phenomenon is, I call it the intelligence. I don't really refer to it as ETs or ghosts or whatever. I just call it the intelligence. It's almost like we come into the world. Uh, you you decide you're going to play the puppet Jeff. I'm going to play the puppet Grant. And when we die, we realize we were just puppets on a stage. And the real essence is there. And it's all a story. It's all this sort of um, thing that we're, we're to learn from it. And then if we go into the next life, our story here will be a forgotten story. So it's what we learn in this life. And I so I, I actually believe... Um, that this is the important thing. And the prime example, I guess you could talk about is everybody's into this whole disclosure thing now. Oh, the, the OSAP and, and, uh, does the government know and do they have stuff? And they, they when, so they deal with Bob Bigelow, who actually was the, the contractor for the program. And if you take a look, why did Bob Bigelow buy the, the ranch? Now people will dispute this with me. I say, no. They say, oh, it's the UFOs. I said, no. If you read Jacques Vallée's actual, uh, 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 diary. He, when they got the ranch in 96, Jacques Vallée makes an entry and then he makes an entry in, in 1997. And he basically says, 
what are we doing? What, are we, what is this UFO thing? There's no UFOs here at Skinwalker Ranch. What are we supposed to do? It's a waste of time. And it was the, the fact that Bob Bigelow bought the ranch, not so much because of UFOs, but because the woman came, and I have 20 of these from Skinwalker Ranch in the book. The woman comes home with the groceries, puts all the groceries away, goes to the next room, comes back, and all the groceries are back in the bag. And then they're saying, oh, I hope they don't mess with the bulls. I hope they don't, uh, you know, fool around with the bulls. And suddenly his four prize bulls disappear. And they end up in this locked trailer that he finds them in a locked trailer. They destroy the trailer. And that's why I believe that the government DIA went in there is because they knew the importance. And if you look at the, there's this famous slide nine that they talk about. It was used to brief Congress. And it talks about stuff going through metal, disassembling uh, sensor equipment, which is where the phenomena ripped the camera down when they were trying to film it and stuff like this. That's what they were interested in. Because, of course, if you're if you're DIA, you'd be very interested. And the DIA actually did talk about a ports in 1974 already. So they've been working on this a long time. And in the book, I quote the document where they say, if we could develop this technology of apportating, uh, apporting stuff, we could go to the enemy's vault get the documents out, bring them back to Washington, photocopy them, put them back in the vault, and they would not even know we were there. And so this is the whole deal. It's when you start to realize the potential and what's actually going on here, everybody would be interested. You'd be crazy not to study the subject. Well, on the other hand, it would seem as if nobody yet has figured out how to consciously create airports. They all, to my knowledge, seem to be quite spontaneous. Well, that's what I say with all paranormal phenomena, that it goes across the spectrum. So if you take a look at crop circles, everybody has a theory about how it's done, but nobody ever sees crop circles being done. It's a total mystery. Or if you go back to the Fox sisters with the knocking in 1850, everybody has ideas of how they did it, but nobody really knows. The, the key to all the paranormal phenomena is nobody actually sees crop circles being made. Nobody sees anybody being abducted, no matter how many cameras they set in the bedrooms. Nobody sees anybody being abducted. Cattle mutilations, they had on, on Bigelow's ranch, they had the one calf that was, that was tagged and with, and they were within range of this thing and it got mutilated and they didn't see it. And the same with apports. Nobody actually sees this happening and nobody can ever explain it. That's the key to apportations or paranormal phenomena is nobody ever figures it out. It's just so weird. And the first thing you say is this is absolutely impossible. There's no way this could possibly happen. And nobody ever figures it out. It, you just have this speculation. And so what I believe they're doing is they're just sort of dragging you into this thing to get you to start to look almost like the um mike clellan the, the owl guy when he was under regression one time he asked he the regressions to ask him what's with the owls why am i so obsessed with owls he's written two books on owls and ufos so when he's there she says so mike what's with the owls and he said the owls are not important he starts channeling the owls are not important the owls don't mean anything the owls are just a symbol the owls are a symbol that you put on the door it's the door that's important and when you go there and then you open the door and you suddenly realize there's a vast unexplored universe behind the door. That's what they're doing is the, the phenomena gets you curious. It takes you to the door and then you sit and go, I wonder what's behind the door. And you open the door and, you, and it leads you down another hallway and it just leads you from door to door. And that's what we're doing. We're gradually unraveling. And as uh, Zeilinger, that one of the three guys, Anton Zeilinger, one of the three guys who won the Nobel Prize this year for physics, said, physicists can measure things but they have no idea how reality works. And that's the whole thing. Reality, you can never see it. It's almost like this idea with Donald Hoffman, that everything is a desktop icon, and reality is way behind. You're just looking at an icon all the time. You don't really see what the actual reality is. 
And that, that's what I think, uh, at ports are doing is they're making you curious. They're making you explore. And the more we explore, the more, the more we understand that the universe is more and more complex, almost like the idea of a cell. We used to think, oh, cells are just, uh, just simple cells. What's the big deal? They're just a cell. Come on. And, and then you start looking and you realize there's a, a trillion atoms assemble to go in a three, three dimensional spot, three dimensional place within 24 hours, make a three billion base pairs uh, of, of DNA. And, and, and then w- w- as this, this, the fetus is developing at one point, they're making 250 million cells a second. And that the, they're making the neurons, which have the, the, the connections at 1.8 billion, uh, connections a second. And you start realizing like, man, this is getting more complex. The more you look at the phenomena, whatever phenomena it is, the more complex it gets. And the more you go, wow, the universe is an amazing place. We want to simplify it with, by left brain. We say, give it a name, make it go away, call it a placebo, call it an illusion. And and the left brain wants everything to be a noun. There's all these nouns, and then there's little nouns that make up big nouns. And what I believe it is is it's not it's not nouns. Everything's a verb. It's all right brain. It's it's a verb, and everything's alive. Everything's conscious. Whereas in our world, we we want to sort of take away the the verb and make it into these little uh, nouns. We're in a universe that doesn't really mean anything. Well, at the same time, you put it very simply a moment ago when you, when you said everything is conscious, the universe is conscious, everything is a manifestation of consciousness. That seems quite simple. And yet at the same time, we know, as you pointed out, it's really very complex. Yeah. And, and we we're dominated by this left brain world where it, it's about, uh, what, sh- what should we fear? Who, who can we blame? And can we make money from it? So it's almost like the, the whole idea of the, the, the dual slit experiment where they had the, you know, the, or the spooky action and distance where the, the claim was made, shut up and calculate. We don't, we don't care. We don't want to look at the philosophical implications of what these experiments mean. Just shut up and, and calculate and just make some technology. And that's what science has done. It's sort of pushed these philosophical things into the background. And that's the part that interests me is, is, uh, not the technology, but what's actually going on. What, you know, what, what is, and that's the whole thing behind the, the, every airport that I see, like somebody would say to me, who, what's your favorite airport? And I say, well, they're all, it's like, which is your favorite child? Every single one, it's the same thing. It's like, Wow, how the heck did they do that? It's like, it's just like, it's inexplainable and, and it just, it just sort of mystifies you and, and gets you more and more curious to dig into it. And I, I think that's what the, the whole thing's all about. And that's what happened just to Bob Bigelow. And you can see what happened. Bob Bigelow got dragged to Bins by Skinwalker Ranch because all the weird stuff that was going on at the ranch. And he ended up bringing in the DIA, writing the book. Then the DIA got interested. The DIA went in there. Now the government's interested in Congress and, and the zeitgeist is changing. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get everybody and as max planck says you do not convince you do not win by convincing your opponent that you are right and he is wrong it happens by your opponents dying one funeral at a time and that's what we're doing is we're raising the zeitgeist the consciousness of these elements and the young generation is going to say what's the big problem sure there's that part sure there's a uh you know ufos and and the old generation basically dies off and the new generation is not offended with the idea well, in your book, you uh, have gone through the literature very thoroughly. I think you probably have references to maybe a hundred or more documented examples of apportation. Yeah. Uh, well, we went through the, the spectrum. That was the thing is once I got involved and, and things started happening, like things started happening to me and uh, I'd never experienced anything. And then it was within a couple of months where they messed with my PowerPoint, where I was giving a lecture after I met with Ray 
And uh, they, at that conference, there was this thing with the feathers. I tell this long story about there's 15 people involved with 12 incidents with feathers. And when it was all over, when the final feather, when my assistant showed me this feather, she's standing there with this feather. I go, get out of here. I, I couldn't believe it. And they messed with my PowerPoint. They they move uh, audios from one slide to another and, and put two slides together. And I'm just going, how the heck did they do that? So I got sort of more obsessed. And even since the the the, the book was written, I've got people now telling me stuff and I go, wow, I should have put that butt story in there. There's just, I start to realize, even when I ask experiencers, I would say to them, uh, you know, people always ask, like, were you afraid? Did it hurt? Did they scare you? And all the, all the sort of the, you know, negative stuff. And when I see them, I say, Hey, uh, it's like when you were on the ship, did the alien have any clothes on? And they go, no, I didn't have any clothes on. And then I say, Hey, you ever have anything sort of, uh, move around the house or uh, disappear? And they go, Hey, can you hang on a second? And they come back with a collection of stuff, eh? And they've never talked to anybody about it. And you start to realize, like, this is way more pronounced than, than, but most people don't want to talk about it because it is really, really bizarre that you, you'll explain that, you know, things are disappearing and reappearing and they're playing with people's cigarettes and, uh, stuff like that or your, your cell phone. And they like to do to put the cell phone in the freezer and it's just so weird. But, uh, it, it I think it maybe it all comes down to the idea of, how does it come in and how does it go out? And I don't think it's in the book, but I tell the story. When I got a chance to interview Leslie Kane, who broke the story for the New York Times, all I wanted to ask Leslie Kane was one thing. I didn't want to ask about disclosure, New York Times. All I wanted is one thing. Hey, Leslie, did you actually see that hand? Did you have that hand actually appear? <laughs> and she said, yeah, it appeared. I said, tell me the story. and Don't leave anything out. Tell me that whole story. And she said, well, I've actually seen it a couple of times. And she's with this, this Alexander, Stuart Alexander. And she says she's sitting at this table with the red light under the table and the ectoplasm starts to come up onto the table and she's sitting there like a couple inches away and this hand starts to appear. And she said, I felt the hand and she said it was as real as a real hand. It was, it, she could feel the knuckles. She could feel the tendons. It was warmer than a regular hand. It was softer than a regular hand. And then the thing banged on the table a couple of times to prove that it was real. And then it just went, and it went back into where it had come from. And that's what the apport thing is about. It, it, they're usually they're symbolic. You'll have like Charles Halt, who is the guy from Rendlesham Forest, the the guy that he said it changed his life. He said he's giving a lecture in the United States, and suddenly these two coins fall, dink, and they roll along the floor and hit him his boot. And he takes the coins because he's lecturing or whatever, puts them in his pocket, and then later on he looks and they were British pound coins. And he said that changed his life. And that's the whole thing is when when these things happen to you, it absolutely sets you that you just you just can't believe it's happening. And and it's it's to keep you curious. That's what I believe is the, the bottom line is when you're curious, you can you, science advances when you're not curious, as Max Planck talked about with his his 19, 1874 with his instructor, J- Professor Jolly. Professor Jolly says to Max, don't go into physics. We got it all figured out. And that's when things stop, when you, when you don't do exploration. But when you have these bizarre things, and I've, I've written a book like called Inspired, where we always think it's all the left brain, people are figuring this kind of stuff out. And we don't realize that, no, we're getting help from the other side. That people, you, all these things, the dreams that ended up with Nobel Prizes and inventions and music and art and, and stuff like that. And you realize it's this really, really weird world. And it's almost like being... Uh, people will say, oh, I went to the Super Bowl, $10,000 to pay for the Super Bowl. Here's my ticket. Look at my ticket. And, and it's like, yeah, that, we live in the Super Bowl every single day. When you start looking at this kind of stuff, you realize you, not only are you in the stadium, but you're playing in the game and you're watching this kind of stuff and you're on the leading edge of how does reality actually work. 
Well, it does seem as if reality is very playful and conscious at, at some level. You refer to it as an intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the bottom line is is that it's all it's it's all one thing. That's the, the the download I got when I was watching Colin Andrews. I was watching Colin Andrews give a lecture on crop circles. I wasn't interested in crop circles, so I did one of the contact modalities. I sort of was zoning out. I wasn't really paying attention, and that's when it came to me with absolute certainty. It was like this is how it, this is. It's all consciousness, and then it, I realized that other people were getting the same sort of in, uh, intelligence downloads. That 40% of all experiencers, and I've talked to these people, 40% of all experiencers say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And with the near-death experience survey, it was 31%. And I'd ask these people, I said, well, how do you know you knew everything? How, and this, uh, how do you know? And how do you know there wasn't like number six, seven, eight on the far side of the universe they forgot to tell you about? And they'll say exactly what I would say about my experience, this absolute certainty. They would say, I'm not sure. I just know. I know. I, I I knew. It's like for it comes with absolute certainty. And that's the hardest part to explain to people is this absolute certainty that you don't have to question this. And that came to me. And so that's where I started on this idea that the, everything may be in the field. It's all there, and it's the ability to access the field. And that's what the the uh, ports are doing, or the uh, in UFO intelligence, or the crop circles. Like, why would they make crop circles? I have I call, call it the theory of wow. Why are they making crop circles? Did they come across a thousand galaxies? to make crop circles or to put triangles on people's arms and stuff like that. And this makes no sense. It's it. And the reason they do it, I had one guy who they put a, a cut in the top of his head where there was like a Y in the top of his head. And it was, he's in the middle of the night. He's got blood on his hands. He's going like, what is going on? He said, why would they do this to me? And I said, well, maybe you weren't paying attention and they wanted to get you the eye. The idea that, yeah, this is for real. This is actually happening. And he did. He ended up with five terabytes of material photographing out his window. He became totally obsessed, but that's what they're doing is they're, they're getting you to uh, almost like shattering naive reality. We have this idea. Everything's solid. The, the sun goes around the earth. It's flat. All this. Cause that's what it, we perceive it to be. And the more we go along, we more realize, oh, that was wrong. That was wrong. Even a hundred years ago, we believed Einstein and the boys all believed there was one galaxy. It was 1920 was the big debate about was there more than one galaxy? We, we forget all that kind of stuff that this is wrong. That's wrong. And a hundred years from now, people are going to be laughing at what we believe today. And that's what the reality is doing. It's, it's teaching us almost like, uh, Bob Bigelow said it, it's messaging and it's gaming. So they're using this gaming thing, but they're teaching you as you, as you go along. But you got to stay curious. Otherwise you, you just give up and go back to watching TV. I'd like to ask you a different question, not one that uh, was on our agenda or originally, because you're, you're talking about a, a form of higher consciousness that gets catalyzed by these experiences. One of the words for it is metanoia, a kind of higher form of knowledge that uh, it's almost poetical in nature. But metanoia is very, very close to paranoia. And I run into people, and I'm sure you have, who have that same sense of certainty, but it's about the, the negativity of, of the world, that we live on a prison planet, and we are imprisoned by our dreams, imprisoned, I do believe we get imprisoned by our thoughts, but that's different. Uh, I recently heard from a fellow who is absolutely certain, he told me he can prove it beyond a doubt, that there's an alien civilization with a advanced artificial intelligence technology, and they control every dream that every single person has ever had. 
Yeah. Well, that's where I go through. I say the right brain, left brain thing is was the research was done in the 70s and 80s. And that's where we've sort of missed it. We sort of pushed that in the background. Left brain is separation. It's me and there's you. There's separation. There's no connection between anything. And it's fear. It's all based on fear. Uh, and uh, when you get uh, Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody, they talk big. Ego will talk big. It'll talk about the fear or whatever. And then when you get punched in the face the first time, then you start to cry and whine and you're victim. So it's, it's, is that right brain thinking or left brain thinking? I say the right brain thinking is we're all connected. We're all one. The left brain, which most of us are in, is this idea. There's all these enemies. There's, uh, you know, COVID's out to get us and the Chinese are out to get us and the Russians and, and people of different colors and religions. And it's that separation idea. So to me, that's just left brain thinking that, that's, that's dominating the world. And, and it's, it's, it's what will spiral us down is you either believe everything's connected and we are, you know, we help each other or it's me versus you. And, uh, so you see a lot of that left brain thinking where, I, I believe it's all motivated by this belief of ego, that ego of, of separation and everybody's an enemy and I've got it all figured out. And the, the right brain, if you can cut that off, and that's what the contact modality is, is the ability to get in the field because all the experiences, whether it's near-death experience or um, um, UFOs or whatever, you'll see this sort of thing or psychedelics where they'll say, oh my goodness, I, there was no time and space and I suddenly realized Everything was alive and connected. And you hear that and you go, Oh, okay. They're in the field. That, that's what, and that's to, to me is the idea is to get out of the left brain field of, uh, you know, just rational analytical thinking of, of my logic says this and I can out manipulate you and out debate you or whatever to actually finding the people who are tapping in the field. That's why I was so interested in Ray. If he's got 4,200 experiencers, I want to go to the base. I want to go, Ray, who's the best one? Who, who should I? I haven't got time to watch 4,200 people, but you try to find those people. And that's what I did in contact modalities. We went through Desta Barnaby and I went through 70 different modalities looking for all the different ways you can get in the field, whether it's meditation. And a lot of it is like head injury, going through the front shield of a windshield, uh, uh, you know, fever, uh, you know, uh, fasting, all this kind of stuff, trauma, a lot of trauma events where people get thrown in the field, they disassociate and they get in the field. But the, the key to the field is, uh, is the idea that, that everything is connected, everything's one and you get, you get it over and over again in, in all the mystical literature. It goes across when you, when you took a look at all of the contact modalities, that's what you see. Now, I'm glad you brought up Ray Hernandez again uh, and his friend Alberto, particularly. I have met Alberto and he, uh, as you pointed out, has a cabinet full of uh, airports, and one wonders why is it that uh, they focus so extensively on this one human being that he has such a huge collection of airports, or uh, Stanley Krippner's work with Amir Abedin in uh, Brazil. Uh, it, it seems that some people are magnets for this phenomena, and other people will tell you that uh, nothing like this ever happens to them at all. Okay, all the world's a stage, all the men and women are about puppets. And you get the idea that we all have agreed to do something. If reincarnation is a fact, 
then there's a pretty good chance that you and I all agreed to do something. It may not be UFO material, learn envy or greed or whatever, you know, the lessons of this or that. But we came into the world to learn something. And if you look at the Michael Newton stuff with the 7,000 regressions, life between life, you only get asked one question when you leave, when you're in front of the panel, how did it work out? Because you planned it. And that's what you see inside the UFO field. If you look at Sherry Wild, Sherry Wild wrote a book called The Forgotten Promise. And she was furious with, with the being. She didn't want anything to do with them because they were, uh, they, they, they wanted her to do this. And she, you know, she was almost suicidal. She wanted to get out of it. Chris Bledsoe, when he was, when he was regressed by the Harvard psychiatrist, they said to him, when did you first meet these beings? He said, they have been with me since before I was born. And then he said, like in a last lifetime. And he said, yeah. And, and you see this over and over again where people agree to do this. So the guy's going to agree to do this sort of thing. I want to do the apport thing this time. I, I want to do this. And you say, oh, I want to be a, a broadcaster and I want to, everybody plays their little, little role. And that's what we've got to realize. Who are you actually? You are not the puppet on the stage. You are watching. And the, the idea is I came into the world. If we're in condition fact, I came in the world to do something. I'm going to get asked, how did it work out when I leave? And the, the only question you got to resolve is what am I supposed to be doing while I'm here? And am I doing it? That's all you got. You don't worry about what everybody else is doing. That it has no relationship to me. It's what did I agree here to come? Remember who you actually are. That's this mystical teaching. Remember who you actually are. Well, what a beautiful uh, thought, Grant. And it uh, prompts me to ask you, uh, since you've also experienced airports in your life and many, many other things along uh, along the way. Do you have a sense of your own purpose now? Oh, absolutely. I, the the books go from one to another. I mean, the the one that's uh, the, the the one I'm going to come out next is called the Gifts, where I look at. Uh, I wrote a book called Inspired on all these creation things, but I I did twelve special ones. Like, where did the computer come from? Uh, the invention of LSD, how important it was to the world, how that invention came, all these these different things. But I basically wait for the synchronicities, and I'm drawn now away from from the UFO field. I, I'm really not doing too much in UFOs. Because I realize it's this bottom thing. When you look at aliens, nobody reports them breathing. Nobody reports them eating. Nobody reports them sleeping. Nobody reports them drinking. They don't have sex organs. They don't have nipples. They don't have belly buttons. And you start realizing like, man, who is this really? Who, who, what are these beings actually? And so I've gotten drawn away and, and I've moved to, to the, almost to the apport thing, to the physical mediums that we're going to work with physical mediums. Uh, and I think Destin may have sent you the film of this, uh, um, Michael Shane, who uh, had eighteen hundred objects come out of his mouth after he ate a pizza. He ate a pizza, then did the the uh, the 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 thing, and then had these things come out of his mouth. He just did one last weekend, so I, I'm getting dragged in, and, and the same sort of thing happened. The woman described how she was healed. These hands came out of the cabinet and healed her, and that was the same story I heard from Destin. I'm going, hey, this is kind of weird. I'll follow this, and I had agreed. I said to Desta when when I heard about the apports coming out of the mouth, I said, hey. So were they dry? And she said, yeah, they were absolutely dry. And that's the whole deal. If you've got 1,800 objects in your mouth, there's going to be some saliva on it. And uh, so I suddenly realized, like, there's opportunity here to do scientific exper experiments that if you can get one of these apports as they come out of the mouth, and he says they form in the mouth. So Desta Barnaby agreed that she's going to take a course, and, and she's she'll pretty, she's be pretty good at it. So she said, I'm going to take a course how to do this. I said, Desta, remember, when you do it, I'm going to be filming. Open your mouth so I can film inside your mouth. Because the idea is that these things form inside the mouth and that when they're coming out, they're not even fully formed yet. So there's this opportunity and it's, it's to draw 
me into this next mystery. It, almost every book has been the same thing. It's I've been led from one book to another book to another book to another book, and uh, I just sit there and wait, and it, and it comes, and I know uh, as soon as it's time to do a book, I know okay, I got to follow this, and then everything fits together. I think you find that pe- people describe this all the time. Once you get on the right path. Everything starts to fit together and it's the synchronicities. Everybody starts to show up. And even like this thing with the, with the uh, ports, uh, I had the one and then this other girl said, Oh, I, I was at one of these seances last week. I said, really? I mean, can I do an interview? And I, I talked to her and she just appeared out of nowhere and it was what I was interested in doing. And she appeared within a couple of days and she had another bizarre story that, that I got to interview her on. So, uh, the, that's where I'm going to go. I think, um, the other experiment that I, I, I want to do is I did with tra- trans channelers where you get a trance channeler, Jay-Z Knight talked about the, the, the trance channeling where the consciousness changes when they're, when, and I've been trying to get another tra- trance channeler to do that because you can get uh, other trance channelers who will talk about their eye color changing. And I think that's revolutionary type stuff where you can do, actually do scientific experiments to actually prove that if the DNA changes when somebody's channeling, the whole world is flipped upside down. Everything sort of changes. And yet, on the other hand, it moves slowly. I, I'm not, over excited because it moves one funeral at a time. And I think things like a ports and consciousness were a few funerals away from, from that stuff developing where you and I are on the leading edge. And then when you get back in the real world, you realize there's like 5% of people are interested in this and everybody else thinks you're totally nuts. Uh, but you still have to do what you, you've got to do. And all I do is I, I record it for history as best I can, my discoveries and uh realize that you're just putting a piece in for somebody else to put a piece in and eventually as we progress along the world will will be a better place when people learn the understanding remember who you actually are and we're all connected that is the part that we've lost today in the world is we're into this me versus you separation thing whoever's got the most toys when they die wins well when you think about it First of all, it does seem to me that your path has been one of moving into the realm of high strangeness and going from one high strangeness kind of an experience to the next. And and what it's pointing towards, ultimately, I think, is that reality is totally malleable. Yeah, yeah. And complex. I, I keep saying to people now, the more I look at it, I say it's like a thousand times more complex than you think. Every time we take a look, it's like the idea of the cell. When you start looking closer and closer and closer, you get closer to reality, but you don't actually see reality, but you see it gets more complex and more complex and more complex. And that's what the paranormal phenomenon is showing, is that if people can go through walls, if objects can manifest and and, and fall, fall, or the woman comes home and there's a pile of dirt in the middle of the bathroom floor, and they string her, her, her iPhone uh, uh, earpiece through her, her zipper and stuff like that, then you realize something, either these people are making it up, which I don't believe is happening, or something's wrong with what we believe. And that's where we're supposed to go, but people don't want to do it. They just want to sort of ignore it. But that's what it's telling us, is something you believe is wrong, and this is an, an indication that you should look a little bit deeper. And so the universe, that's the idea. You open that door, and you realize that the universe is absolutely massive and complex, and all these things are symbols to get you curious, to get to the door, to open the door, and realize there's something going on behind the door. You probably know Jean Houston. She was a big influence in my life. She used to say, we are godlings, meaning, you know, we're in training to uh, achieve a kind of level of, of deity. Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 that's the, now the 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 idea comes that we may actually be like the sparks of God. That people are starting to say that we are actually that is us. And I've I've had uh, a couple of experiences now where I ran into this thing and I said, "You who I think you are," and I was like, <laughs> and it came with this absolute certainty. I'm like, oh my, like what do I ask now? And and it was it was the idea that still that's going to be a symbol. It's not going to be like if you see a light at a near death experience. That's not it's not a light. It's just a symbol. It's giving you the idea. And if you're in that field, you pick up the the message. You pick up the ideas or whatever. But when you've been in that and you realize there's actually something to this, which sort of amazes me because if you know. Um, Roland Griffith has it did the psilocybin research of John Hopkins, and he's now um, come forward that he's got fourth stage cancer and he's got a couple months to live, whatever. And he did LSD, and then he said he was talking to the cancer, and then he was asked like, "What do you think's gonna happen after death?" And he said, "I think the the chances are as close to zero as possible." And I was thinking. What is your LSD expired? Like what kind of, like that's not the message I'm getting. Uh, we may may not know the answer, but we know which way the wind is blowing and it ain't blowing towards zero. The, when you the research you do, the people you talk to, the research I do, it indicates it's blowing away from zero. We may not be able to explain it, but the more evidence we get, the more we realize that something goes on after death that is very complex and uh, the, the it surely isn't going to be zero. I mean, that's 1850 type thinking. Well, I imagine that there are many options after death. And if some people, I've heard from many people who say, I hope it's pure oblivion. That's what they want. And I imagine, you know, they, you could go to sleep for a million years. If, if it is the way, it, as, as Seth said, the first Chandler said, you manifest everything around you. There is no other rule. So it may be that when you die, you get exactly what you anticipate. Because you're building. If we can build in the physical world, we can build in the spiritual world. And you may actually go to a world. Like my mother lived a t totally different life. She was born in 1929. She had the Christian view. You know, her body's going to rise from the dead. And maybe that is what happens because you manifest it. So it's not like we manifest in this world. And then when we get over there, somebody tell, starts telling us what to do and, and we go into something. We could actually manifest. There could be like a, a, a hundred thousand different afterlives depending upon what your belief system is. And in fact, to the best of my knowledge, no two descriptions of the afterlife are ever identical. There's, there are always nuances and it seems to be in every instance, it's, it's cult, it's colored by one's culture and one's personality. And the same thing happens in UFO experiences. I, I actually did a slide presentation one time where I took all the grays. People say, Oh, it's a gray. And then you take a look at Whitley Strieber's gray, you take a look at uh, Betty Andreessen's gray, you take a look at uh, Betty Hill's gray, and you put them one after another. And they're totally different. They're completely different. And that's the whole thing is we are we are part of what we are manifesting. We are what we see. And, and the example that we used to think aliens in 1896, they were from Mars and everybody believed it. And then in, in, in 1950, everybody believed they're from from Venus and from from Mars. And then we believe, oh, that's not that's not right. And then Be Betty Hill has the star map and suddenly, oh, they're from Zeta Reticuli and Pleiades and Andromeda. And then suddenly the the discussion about the multidimensional and now they're fourth dimensions, fifth dimensional. 
dimension, six dimension beings. And, and if you go back and look at the beings between before Betty Hill saw the gray in 1961, you look at them from 47 to 61. There's actually, uh, catalogs of these and you see beings with helmets, bubble helmets with a, with a thing coming down onto their back, a, a hose coming out. And that's right out of science fiction. And people are describing this. When was the last time we had an alien with a helmet? But in the forties and fifties, there was lots of aliens with helmets. And that's the thing. It's manifesting almost like Barbara Streisand's son, uh, son, uh, Chris Peters is a, is a, um, is a, an experiencer. He said he was told by the, the intelligence when he was dealing with it. He said they told him that when we come into your world, we actually go into your brain. And we see what's in your brain and with whatever's there, whether it's fear, love, whatever your ideas are, that's what we use to teach you a lesson. We have no other choice. And that's the part we people forget. We are part of what we're seeing. That you think there's some independent alien out there and you don't realize, no, you're part of what, what you're seeing based upon your religious beliefs that, you know, if you, if you like this latest one with, uh, this, uh, physical medium who's got these all the, 2000 reports in a session. And, and she said, Oh, this Lady Nada comes. I said, Well, who's Lady Nada? And then she says, Well, that's, and she looked it up and she said, Oh, that's Mary Magdalene. And I said, Well, Mary Magdalene, like uh, she shouldn't be speaking English. And it's like, if it's actually Mary Magdalene, it's a symbol. So people will come because you're a Christian. I'll come as, uh, you know, a, uh, a pre, uh, you know, a, a, a master or, or as Jesus or whatever. And that we are, we are part of it. And we keep wanting because the ego wants to say, no, I'm separate from that. And we've got to realize that when you, especially when you get to the people that describe the, the, uh, ayahuasca experiences, like, like Sting said, I, I couldn't believe it. He said, I suddenly realized that everything was alive and connected. And I look at this little plant coming out of a crack in the, in the, in the, in the soil. And I, and I, re I realized that's my brother. And, and that's the whole idea is it's all connected. And that's what we forget. And, and the lesson that we learn from these people is that th this ultimate lesson, love, compassion, uh, gratitude, and the fact that it's all connected. I think those are the basically the, the, the key messages. And remember who you are. You're not the puppet on the stage. Well, when it comes to airports, which is where we began our conversation, it seems to me that they're, they're very significant because they're physical. We can talk a lot about symbols and mythology and cultural and personality variables and archetypes and so on. But when something drops out of the ceiling and lands on, on your floor and you can keep it, and uh, put it in a cabinet and show to people, uh, that suggests a, uh, something that's much more hardcore than uh, what to some people might be, you know, airy-fairy. But, but again, it comes down to it's inexplicable. If you take a look at Gary Nolan, I talk about the medals. I actually went to hell put off when this started, and they were all excited about the medals. There's these medals falling. I'm going, come on, if a flying saucer comes across like uh, a thousand galaxies and then pieces start falling off the size of your thumb? Come on, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's totally nonsense. And so I went to hell and I said, hell, you had this. You had this with Yuri Geller in 1972 where Yuri Geller's eating the ice cream and suddenly he bites down and this, his pin cuts his lip and then he pulls it out of his mouth and, and, and Edgar Mitchell says, hey, that was my flight pin. I lost two years ago. Where'd you get that from? And then they go back to the lab and Yuri Geller's in another room so you can't bear, blame Yuri Geller and Hal Putoff's standing there and he said all of a sudden, they go, dink, and behind them in the back half of the flight pin is on the floor. And so I said to Hal, I said, this metal, this is a port's hell. I mean, they're, they're dropping this stuff on purpose. They don't, they don't come across and then things start to fall apart. And if you look at the material, if you look at those, especially the one that Gary Nolan had from the Uba Tuba thing, you have the thing where it's the same crash 
two pieces of metal from the same crash and one has the isotopes all messed up and the other one the isotopes are normal and of course what they do like a oh my goodness we need we need to study this and they're, they're all excited and and that's what they're doing because we're very materialistic so they show this and it ties into even the this, this stuff of people say well come on there's 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 aliens there's definitely aliens because they got bodies and i said well if the body has no sex organs has no nipples no uh if you look at the alien autopsy has no uh you know uh belly button how do you know it's not on a port? How do you know they just didn't make this thing like like uh, Stanford's brother who had a, a turtle appear in one of his seances and he had it in his garden and that is at Stanford University, the shell of the turtle. And and so the, the, the all this stuff may be a port so that they can make a body appear and and that we get all fascinated with this stuff, but it's still inexplicable. Like all that metal, if you take a look at it, it's all inexplicable. Nobody has any idea of, they just say, it's looking weird. It's got 83 levels and how do they bind this stuff together? And it gets you curious and you start doing the research. So again, it's this, it's this messaging thing. And we showed it goes back. We had found one at the University of Arizona from the, the Mitchell, uh, the, um, um, the collection of the big researcher back then, James McDonald. And Desta found it, and it was 1939. This thing comes flying out of the sky, and it looked like a, it's in the book. It looks like a spike with bubbles on the top, and it has a copper core in the middle of this thing. 1939 embeds itself into the guy's garden. It's red hot. He waits for it to cool down. He pulls it out of his garden, and then they find out it's 99% nickel. And of course, that becomes inexplicable because there's nothing in the sky in 1939 that's 99% nickel. And it's this big mystery, but nobody can figure it out. It's always inexplicable. Nobody knows who has it. Or even if you get the thing with the uh, the apports in the last apport thing where they the seance thing last week, she said when these eighteen hundred objects fell from the ceiling, this cloud appeared, and then on twenty four people, all the stuff started to fall. She said it didn't fall; it was like they were throwing it at us. And you hear this in apports all the time. The question is, who's throwing it? And it's so it's this bizarre yeah. thing, thousand times more complex. And they're just trying to get you curious. They're this theory of wow. Then when you're curious, you you do more exploration and they're they're just moving us along down the road. And eventually we're gonna figure it out. We're gonna well not figure it out. We'll never get to reality, to the bottom of reality. But we're gonna learn more and more and more. But you gotta stay curious. And what it's doing is saying the reality you believe in is not right. You're making mistakes. You haven't got all figured out. We always want to think, especially in the UFO community, think, oh, there's just one piece. The government knows they're flying these things around. We got one piece to put in there and we've got that. We got all figured out. And it's like, no, it's almost like Jim Semivan, who was the experiencer. He had the, he was the CIA guy, equivalent of a two star general. He had the beings in his room and he was, and he was asked, he said, he said, uh, uh, there does not appear to be any there, there. That's pretty significant. And then he said, people say, well, we just got to connect the dots. And he said, and he got the, he got the intelligence briefing on UFOs. He said, I don't really think there's any dots to connect. I'm, I'm not sure there's dots to connect. And when you hear that, you realize that may be the truth. The government is actually stating, yes, UFOs are real. Yes, we have these films. And other than that, we've got bodies and crafts. We haven't got a clue what's going on or even the thing of consciousness in the Wilson League document, which I got on the internet. The Wilson League document, there was one guy who supposedly got this briefing who talked talked to the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff and said, we've got a craft and we think it'll fly. Now, as soon as I saw that, I said, holy cow, I know what that is. This is a rumor, long rumored story. They've got a craft. It's totally intact. It was given to them. They cannot turn it on. Because I wrote a book on 36 people who've flown the craft called UFO Sky Pilots, and they all say the same thing. You need a consciousness interface. The craft is alive. You put your hand on a panel, on a ball. You become one with the craft. And when you become one with the craft, whatever you think happens. And what the beings will say to you is, Jeff, where do you want to go? And you say, 
I'd like to see the Milky Way. My friend said, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they said, okay, it's within you. Go within yourself. And then push the button or whatever they tell you. Then you're ready to go. And they go within. And one second later, my friend said, I looked out the window. And he said, there was the Milky Way off in the distance. As re- more real than the real world. And this is this real concept of, is there any time and space? Or is it like uh, um, Wheeler, John Wheeler said. He said, there does not uh, there does not appear to be any there there and i would i'm 100% uh, in agreement that the entire universe may be a figment of the imagination and that comes into this really weird thing it may all be one spot here now there is no out there it's all almost like when you have a near death experience and you float away from your body that's when you suddenly realize the reality that your your consciousness is not in your body your body is in your consciousness and if you you float to the window you look out and you realize the whole universe is within your 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 consciousness that's where this is taking us it's telling us no this is not right then no this is not right and it just gets weirder and more complex as we move along but we are the the leaders on the very edge and I, I feel privileged. I mean, I, I, I had was taken through a few gratitude meditations at, at one point, and uh, I, I, I agree that I maybe one of the luckiest pieces of people ever to to live. That I got to live on the very edge of this field and see this kind of stuff and live in excitement all the time. I could have been born an untouchable in the streets of Calcutta and spent my days in the junkyard looking for something valuable enough to sell for food for tomorrow. I didn't get that. I got to play in the Super Bowl every single day. And it's, to me, it's just the most amazing life you could ever live. And you got, I got to say thank you like a thousand times a day for, for, for what I've been able to, to, uh, see and achieve and, Stuff like that. I, I just, I, I can't believe anybody can live without it, but I, I, most people will agree, say you can live without it. They just, it doesn't interest, but their, their role on life may be something different. They're here to do something else. And, uh, we've been given this opportunity and, uh, don't waste it. You've got to do what you can and raise consciousness. That's what it's about. Raising consciousness, raising the zeitgeist to the point where everybody realizes, yeah, this stuff is possible and the young generation will help get us closer to the answer. Well, I feel much the same way you do, Grant. Uh, life has been a pure joy, and uh, so I can see we have much in common. This conversation has been a pure delight, and I'm looking forward to many more with you because I think we're just scratching the surface. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Namaste. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Namaste to you which means I honor the self that we both share. And that's what it's about. Remember who you actually are. We're all part of the same one thing. And for those of you watching or listening, I want to thank you too, because you are the reason that we are here. And as Grant has been pointing out, you are versions of us and we are versions of you. I imagine that by now, many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death?
New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos.